Last week, we started a brand new sermon series called A Journey of Grace. Uh, And it was an exploration into how God moves us along on our journey. And last week, we took a look at four movements. There was the come and see, follow me, you will be, and it doesn't rhyme, go and do. I know, I could have tried harder, right? We could have figured it out. Um, But these four movements create a bit of a picture, a bit of a landscape of how the grace of God is with us at the very beginning and works through us the entire way, the entire season of our our lives and our life of faith. Um, It is the dynamic way that God's grace is moving and how at its heart, Christianity means embarking on a life-consuming journey of discipleship of getting up close and personal with Jesus. Discipleship never stops. You don't graduate from discipleship school. You you walk with Jesus all the way from the beginning to the end. It truly is a life-consuming journey. So that is the context. That's the sermon series that we are in And in fact, when you think of discipleship in that way, the journey of grace, it starts long before we even make a commitment to our Lord. God is at work all the way back, all the way back. Um, There's a community in France called Taizé. And when I had the opportunity to travel, I visited this place. And it is a beautiful, wonderful space where... Years ago, back in 1940, a man by Brother Roger, um, he was a Swiss Protestant, and he was seeking to create a space of prayer and reconciliation amidst World War II atrocities and the violence. All of the hatred in the world, he was like, there needs to be a space of reconciliation and peace. And so, with the devastation of World War II, he began this community. It started with a few brothers, and then it grew over time to now there's over a hundred brothers from different Christian traditions who have taken on this life of prayer and service to others. Now, this community found, found itself becoming a hub for people that are on a spiritual journey, particularly youth and young adults who are looking asking and wondering. And so the week that I went there, there was probably over a thousand people, mostly from Europe, but also all over the world. And they had all sorts of questions, and it was a wonderful space to be at. Um, One of the many people that I met, one of them really stood out, um, and his name was David. We hit it off right away. He was from Sweden, and his extended family was actually a part of uh, the Jehovah Witness, Witnesses community. And he was in a process of evaluating his family's traditions, as well as back home in Sweden, he had just started to attend an evangelical church, and he was trying to put some pieces together, and he was trying to make sense of it. And I met him in Teze, and he was trying to sort out all of this in his life. Then, after one of Teze's worship services, a service that is characterized by simple, repetitive songs, scripture reading, and silence, in that space, I remember him saying after this service that when he walked into that prayer room, he just felt peace, and he felt like it was such a a special place. 
As I listened, I could, I could see God's fingerprints all over his story. I could see God at work in his upbringing, creating curiosity that was sparked when he attended the Christian church with his girlfriend, and then the doubts of his family's tradition, and then this overwhelming sense of peace as he walked into this space. Not a lot was being said to him about what he was supposed to think or not think, but he just sensed that something was going on. And we got into conversations. We got into conversations about faith and life. And it was fun. It was exciting. Grace provides the twists and turns in our story that we could never imagine, says Jeff Stark from Olivet Nazarene University. Grace is sneaky like that. When we aren't looking or are unaware, or even uncertain of what we should even be looking for, even if we are looking at all, grace sneaks up on us. Grace had, has this sneakiness that was sneaking up on this young man, David. Through his life, God was at work drawing things out, wooing him, inviting him, and having him show up in all sorts of unique places. The grace of God was making it possible for him to come and see. Grace kept his attention. It guided him to Taizé. It compelled the questions that were in his life. And grace, this part of God's grace, he's been sneaking up. God has been sneaking up on some of you as well. I love this conviction in our faith tradition. We believe that one facet of God's grace is a seeking grace. Um, That the grace of God does not begin at the moment of our salvation. It precedes even the awareness of our need for God. We do not naturally seek God. Instead, God seeks us. The theological term for this um, action by which we seek to draw us near to himself The fancy word, provenient grace. Provenient grace simply means that God comes to us before we come to God. God's grace seeks us out and comes to where we are. This seeking grace is exactly the kind of work that God was doing amidst all of the disciples, even before the disciples met Jesus, God's grace was at work in their lives. For some, it was being a devout Jew, like, um, like even like Nicodemus and his curiosity and his questions, um, like Nathaniel, like uh, all of the different disciples following John. There was a curiosity at work in these disciples. They didn't even know yet. And then they bump into Jesus. And when they bump into Jesus, then they only have more questions. They are more engaged. They are more curious. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the man we've been looking for? Could this be the answer to our questions? We see the marks of seeking grace all over the book of Acts. The book of Acts is perfect for this. And for those of you who are not 
that aware of the book of Acts, I encourage you to read it. It is a fantastic account of God working through the Holy Spirit to bring people into awareness of the person of Jesus, bringing about salvation. In many ways, it's the start of the life that we are still living today, that the Holy Spirit is at work drawing out attention to Jesus. We have stories like Saul himself, who's riding on his way to Damascus, and then Jesus interrupts him, or maybe even assaults him, you could consider it, (laughs) that he, and he's struck down, and his life is instantly thrown into turmoil. There is tension. He's like, what do I make with this new information? Jesus went there first. God went there first. We see that there's the eunuch from Africa on the desert road to Judea, asking questions, being curious, and then Philip shows up and answers those questions that he has. We have Lydia by the the waterside, by the river, that's seeking and desiring God, and Paul sees her, acknowledges what's going on in her life, and draws her into faith when he preached. We have the group of the Athenians, who worshipped an unknown God. They just had an instinct that there was a God out there that needed to be worshipped that has not yet been identified by them. And God was at work with his grace, wooing and working alongside them. And there are many stories, and all of this points to that they were working out what God was doing in them. As God, So when God was at work, they were at work too, but it wasn't the way we often think of it. See, what, the way we often think of it is as Christians, we tend to say statements like when we try to articulate our faith, when we try to talk about maybe when we came to Christ, that's typically the language we would use. I came to Christ at such and such place, at such and such, and such age, and these are genuine attempts to articulate what God is doing in our lives. But even as we say came to Christ is not exactly accurate because no one ever comes to Christ. Jesus Christ comes to us and we respond. Jesus Christ is going out, calling people to himself. Does that make sense? It's easy for us to say, like, I came to faith. And that's okay that we use that language, but there's this accidental implication when we use that language that suggests that it had something to do with us, that it was in our strength, in our capability to reach out for God, when in fact it was God in his grace who made space for us first. And it's always been that way. Here's a few passages that kind of help drive this point home, this seeking grace where everything starts. John 6, 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Father draws people to Christ through his grace, enabling them to respond to his invitation to salvation. Or Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, God's grace has reached out so that all people have the capacity to see and respond. Or 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his 
promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. How many of us could say amen for the patience? <laughs> amen. He is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. And then in Ephesians, we have the statement that Paul makes, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Emphasis on the word dead in that last passage. It was said a couple of times by Paul. Paul takes this very seriously. He doesn't say that we were just sick or that we were stuck in our, sin, in our sins. No, we were dead in our sins. And according to the Bible and according to uh, scriptural testimony, there are these multiple kinds of death. Just work with me for a second. There's our physical death, there's spiritual death, and then there's eternal death. And um, inside of this, Paul is describing our spiritual death. It could be described this way, that we're living and breathing and going through the motions of life, but we're spiritually dead because of sin. A person can be physically alive and walking around, but on the inside, they cannot respond to spiritual things because they have no spiritual sensation. That's why someone who is spiritually dead doesn't connect with spiritual truth. There is, it's no more real to them than the sense of smell would be for a dead person. Dead people are non-responsive. They're disconnected from others and unaware of their surroundings. We're all in this zombie-like condition of the walking dead. Since the dead cannot respond outside with outside, without outside stimulus. Like, there, there's nothing. There's, there's no ability to respond. And so there's, there's this spiritual death. And so a person cannot come to Christ. They need help. They need support. Um, help must come from the outside. So according to Paul and other scriptural witnesses, God intervenes in our desperate situation and does something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. God comes to where we are. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God moves towards us and awakens our spiritual sensitivities. And this leads to a profound thought that even our capacity to say no to the promptings of God are made possible only because God's prevenient grace has already encountered us. We are only free to respond to God because God has freed our spiritual consciousness to do so. A movement of grace upon us precedes any response from God. I know I'm speaking kind of big ideas and big understanding, but I hope you're catching a glimpse of how good and necessary the grace of God is for creating the landscape that we need. A lot could be said about the story of Sleeping Beauty. 
Um, A lot of fascinating conclusions could be drawn from that story. And with a 21st vantage point, we can read or we can read into the story all sorts of problems with roles and stereotypes, plot lines in this classic story. I'm not going to get into any of that today. This story, however, perfectly illustrates the notion that I'm trying to communicate. We are all the princess. Um, Put all all of the precautions, right? There was that curse given that she would touch and it would knock her to sleep. And so they put up all of the walls, all of the protection, all of everything. They burned all of the the wheels, all of that, right? Most of us know the story. And yet, despite all of that, she could not withstand the temptation that Maleficent put in for her to move towards that spot, to move towards that place. And that is our human conditions. We might try everything we can to put up all of the safeguards, to like try to like manufacture a perfect utopian environment. We could like try to influence the government. We could do everything we could. But at the end of the day, Humanity is drawn to this darkness that is within us because of our fallen nature. And as she pricks her finger and she falls into that sleep, she is utterly lost, unable to wake up, unable to respond to her environment. And that is just like us. Isaiah 53, 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. We've all gone off on that path, and we are hopeless. We're lost. And it's only by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, who fought the dragon, arises victorious, and who embraces humanity, opening our eyes and our hearts to the spiritual reality that we could not do on our own. And like the father in Luke 15, the prodigal son story, he spots the son a long way off, runs through town, finds the son, wraps his arms around him, and kisses him. And it is only through the response of the father that the son can be redeemed and can be restored. There was nothing for the son to do except to weep and say, thank you, thank you for your embrace. And this, my friends, is really, really good news for all of us. This is the optimism and the hope of the gospel, that even before the gospel is explicitly shared, God, through the Holy Spirit, is preparing hearts and minds. You could say that the discipleship that is occurring in your friends and in your community preceded and precedes even hearing about Jesus. God is on a journey with your people. Jesus is walking with your brother, with your mother, with your neighbor, with your volleyball coach, the administrator down the hall. God is at work in their life. And this is exciting. It doesn't cause us to wring our hands and be afraid that maybe if I, that if I don't say something, God will never speak to them. No, God is at work and it is freeing and liberating. The story that was read to us earlier, uh, the story of Cornelius, perfectly illustrates this 
this seeking grace, that God was at work. And it's a big story. I'm not going to go through all of it. I'm just going to highlight four key components that I see happening within this text. First, we see grace at the crossroads of his life. There is this tension in this man. So he is charged with being like he's in the army, the very same kind of army that has suppressed the Jewish people, that has had conflict in different areas, and yet God is at work in his life. And in this place of tension, he's living this one life, and he's seeing this Jewish community, and there's a tension there. And in our lives and in the lives of those around us, God meets us in our points of tension. He meets us where there's conflict, where there's frustration, where there's discouragement, where there's unexpected things taking place. The grace of God is in these moments. Secondly, we see in the story of Cornelius that he has a curiosity, that the grace of God is in curiosity. Even though he still would have been considered an outsider, it didn't keep him from drawing as close as possible to this community. He wanted to know more about the Jewish tradition. How do I live according to these traditions? How do I follow God according to what you're saying? And the man had questions. And we see that God was at work in those questions long before Peter even showed up on the scene. Thirdly, we see grace in companionship. We see grace happening through the people that we bump into and through our community. And just like Cornelius' life, right? He's bumping into this Jewish community. He's getting to know them. The Jewish community considered him a righteous man, a man after God. Of course, they thought, well, kind of sorry that you have to be excluded, but you have to, so you have to keep you over there. But they... They saw his interest, and there was a community. And then, when God spoke, what took place? He invited Peter. He invited Peter, come, I need you to speak to me. There's something I need to hear that you are going to share. And then fourth, we see it in his conviction. He had a conviction to live right, to live well, to give to the poor, to be sensitive to the ways of God. Conviction, Busick says, is the grace that begins to align our lives to the kingdom of God before we've made the kingdom our home. Conviction is good. Conviction is a signal that God is at work in people's lives. And this is an exciting thing. But it doesn't stop there. So the prevenient grace, the seeking grace of God is working in people all over the world, all of these things, but it's also preparing us, right? We see that Peter was called to meet with Cornelius. We see that Philip responded to the Spirit to reach out to the Ethiopian that was asking questions. Jesus met Paul and disrupted his life. Paul spoke and preached for Lydia to hear. And this is our challenge as a church. We must go out into our world, into our workplaces, into our schools, onto the courts, knowing that God's seeking grace is already there. And that there is a responsibility for us to respond to God's promptings, to show up, to be present, 
to discern God's faithfulness and the moments, his fingerprints that are in our friends' and our community's lives, for us to identify that God has been at work. If you aren't already, you will eventually be a part of God's plan to show up in people's lives. Expect to bump into people who are looking for community, looking for answers. They're experiencing tension in their lives and God's grace is at work. They're experiencing conviction. And so my encouragement to all of us as a church is that we would get ourselves ready for that moment. Think about your story. Think about how did God meet you so that you're ready to share that if the opportunity arises. Think about those core scripture passages that point people towards faith. You want to be ready for that because God is going before. There's a beautiful story, and this has happened in more than one occasion, but God uh, is at work in the Jesus Film Project. And the Church of the Nazarene has partnered with the Jesus Film Project for many years. And what they do is they set up with translation like the story of Jesus and they go to remote areas and they tell the story. Now they don't just abandon them, there's discipleship and follow-up, but there have been more than one occasions where with it up, they're telling the story, the story of Jesus is going on and at one point, the chief says, stop, stop the story. We've met this man. We've met this man in our dreams and we know and we knew that one day someone was going to come and tell us this story. That actually happened. And I was like, this, this is God at work. These are the profound ways, but there's the subtle ways. There's the subtle ways with your family and with your community. About four or five days into my time at Teze, I could sense that David wasn't just looking for a space to experience peace, that he was hungry for direction, that he was hungry to have the pieces put together in his life. And so, with nervousness in my heart, I don't want you to get the impression that I, because I stand up here, know how to do this kind of thing instantly and easily. With nervousness in my heart, while we were eating lunch one day, I turned to him and I said, would you like to like, walk through some scripture passages with me to see kind of what God is up to? And he said, yeah, I'd like that. So that's what we did. I went from one passage, I asked him, what do you think this passage is saying about us, about you, about me? And then we went to another passage, and then we went to another and another. And I could tell through this whole journey that God was at work in his life. Light bulbs were coming on in his mind. His heart was getting convicted. And as we hit the end, I turned to him and I said, is this what you would want? Is this what you want? Is this what you would like? And he said, yes. And in that moment, he and I, we turned to each other and we prayed on this random bench just outside the little town of Teze. God's sneaking grace had snuck up on David and it had become saving grace for him. He looked up with joy and bright eyes. I gave him a hug and we celebrated his new life and his new freedom. This is the work of God that is at work in our world, in your community, in your homes. And you can anticipate that God will use you and that he's already preparing space for this to take place. Ready yourselves, church. God has a people that need to hear, and we get to translate that for them. 
all their questions and curiosity, we can point them. I'm going to pray. We have two songs that we're going to sing together. I think this is an opportunity for us to reflect on what God is saying to us as a church and as a community. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing, um, and then we'll close with a benediction. May God expand your heart to see all that is possible because of God's grace. His seeking grace is getting things ready, which is such good news. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we enter into these songs of worship, I just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to your truth. Lord, there, there might be people here today that have encountered your seeking grace and you, they sense a transition that you are calling them to be saved and you are calling them to say yes to your salvation, to give up control. Lord, you are so kind and gentle with your people You want all of us to know you, and I am so thankful that we get to partner with you in these opportunities. Lord, speak to your people today. Speak to all of us. Give us direction for how we are to respond to your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.